I'm pressing my luck. <laughs> Glory to God. Hang with me. Hey, remember, uh, one week from today, at the end of the service, we're going to be baptizing. We have a list out on the Welcome Center. If you will uh, sign up there and let us know, give us some contact information just so that we can contact you and let you know what you need to do to prepare to be baptized. And obviously the fundamental requirement is that you have to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Beyond that, you're going to need a change of clothes. <laughs> Towel might be a good idea as well. Well, God is good. We established that, right? Isn't it great to be in the middle of a series where the preacher doesn't have to preach everything in front of you? I can just preach until you run out of time and then quit for a while, right? Amen. So I'm preaching to you about resolutions that heal, and maybe by the time this year is over, I'll finish this New Year's series. I talked to you about making the right connections. I talked to you about making the right disconnections. I talked to you about making the right reconnections. And today I want to talk to you about making a new connection with yourself. This is the fourth and final point unless I think of something else along the way that the Lord wants me to share with you. Making the right connection to yourself. We say sometimes the die is cast. The die is cast. You ever think about what that means? The die is cast. Literally, it means that the mold has been made in the shape and the image of what we want the product to be, the dye has been made, and we're going to pour the molten metal or whatever into the dye, and when it cools, we'll bring something out that looks like the dye. And I've been trying for a few weeks now to make this dye to say, here is how our lives should look. Our lives should look like Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control and faithfulness. All those things, that's the die that we've been trying to cast. You know what my biggest challenge has been? <laughs> Thank you. You're going to carry the rest of them today, I see. Is convincing you that that's the life that God said you can have and the life that you should be pursuing. He didn't say some people are going to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, etc. He said the fruit of the Spirit is wherever the Spirit of God is allowed to live and take control, there's going to be love and joy and peace, and etc. So the die has been cast, and I appeal to you in the name of Jesus for the benefit of your life and for the benefit of the kingdom of God and for the benefit of the church and for the benefit of so many others that love you, don't accept anything less than what God said you can have. Love and joy and peace, let, let that be the die to say, there is where I'm going with my life. And if you look at it and you go, there's not a lot of love, not a lot of joy, not a lot of peace, patience, that stuff's not in my life. Don't let that stay the condition. And they all said, Amen. Now, I want to tell you a few things. I don't know why. I, I, for some reason, maybe it's just for this series, I'm changing the way I preach. Have you noticed? I'm preaching different. Because I always come in and say, Hey, here's some new stuff I want to share with you before I share the notes with you. Here's some new stuff I want to share with you. Maybe, that's the reason I, I, I 
I started including lines on your sermon section so you can write stuff in. Here's something I want you to write on those blanks there. You should never allow yourself to believe things about yourself that God doesn't believe. You should never allow yourself to believe things about yourself that God doesn't believe. You should never allow that to settle in your spirit because that wars against God's plan for your life. God doesn't believe you're a nobody. You shouldn't either. God doesn't believe you're hopeless. You shouldn't either. God doesn't believe you're a loser. You shouldn't either. And they all said, you've got to get that in your mind. Whatever God thinks of me, I should be agreeing with God concerning who I am. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's some people who believe things about you that God doesn't believe about you. And they will try to tell you things about you that God doesn't believe about you, and you're tempted to believe them. And that is not constructive criticism. I've been appealing to you, accept constructive criticism. Let people help you grow out of your problems and your weaknesses. But there are some people that they don't want to constructively criticize you. They want to destructively criticize you. Hello? And here's a little, here's a little important point that you can tweet. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't tweet it. There should be a no-dumping sign over your life. Can I tell you a story before I start preaching? Raina said, please, so she's desperate for this story. Anybody else? It, 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 you know, when I was in my 30s a few years ago, I was having a terrible time with chronic depression. I was having a terrible time with it. There would be all kinds of good things going on in my life, and there was. But I had this dark cloud hanging over me. And I just sort of walked around with a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. Does anybody bear witness with what I'm saying? No matter how good things got, I just had that. Now, I would feel good for a little while, but then I would come crashing back down. And I walked out almost at least every other Sunday wondering whatever made me think God called me to preach. Because it felt like such a mess. Leave it alone. And... Finally, one day I was praying. I said, God, your word says I'm supposed to have joy and peace and patience in my life. And it's, it's like I, I saw, not, it, it wasn't a vision for me, but it's like this concept appeared in my mind. And maybe you have to be from Arkansas to understand this. But in my mind, I heard that beep, 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 beep. You know what that is? It was the sound of a garbage truck backing up. And dumping. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, you're never going to have peace until you stop allowing people to put their garbage in your life. You're never going to be happy as long as people are allowed 
put to garbage in life. And I did something I don't recommend, but I did it anyway. I made a sign. And I tacked it to a mop handle. And in my hand, I painted, I painted the sign white, and I painted a, a sign that said, No Dumping. And I brought it to church on Sunday morning. <laughs> and I stuck it in a flagpole. And I said, Henceforth, some of us need to do this. We need to say, No Dumping Anymore. If you've got something you want to share with me that will make me more like Jesus and you love me enough to share it, I want to hear it. But if you just want to make me feel bad about who I am, I don't want to hear that. Hello? Hello? I've got, you've got to put that no, no dumping sign. Someone asked me, because I've harped on this so much for the last several weeks, you've got to open up your heart and let people be honest with you about what's wrong with you. People love you. They love God's call in your life. You can't just shut down and not let people tell you what's wrong with you. And people are saying to me, well, how do you know whether you should listen to them or not? Here's the rule of thumb. If they're mad, <laughs> it's not constructive. Hello? If they're mad, they're probably not speaking to the truth in love. They're speaking in frustration. But when someone sits down with you and says, can we talk? Can I share with you some things I think you should think about? If they love you and they love Jesus and they love the Word of God, you might want to think about listening. You know what's wrong with you? <laughs> You know what's one of your big, big problems? Ethel, you know one of your biggest problems? No, it's not. Your, it's not you. You're, you're different from me. <laughs> Let me tell you what your biggest problem is. One of your big, big problems. Your ego. No, it's not you, Ethel. Your ego is so fragile you cannot take the criticism that would help you. And when people try to tell you what you need to hear, you get defensive and you won't listen. And here's what I'm saying. While you protect who you are, you are destroying who you could be. While you protect who you are, you are destroying who you could be in Jesus. If I'm not willing to let people speak to me in honesty and honestly critique me, I can never become the person God wants me to be, the fruitful person, because my ego is so fragile. Let me read a passage to you that didn't make it to your notes. I think, I think we're going to have it on the screen. Watch this very closely. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, for the pulling down of strongholds and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, bringing what every thought into captivity to make it obedient to Christ. 
though we walk in the flesh, we are not doing warfare in the flesh. We're doing warfare in the spirit. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty because of God to the pulling down of strongholds. Things come into our lives that are strongholds. We get into habits of thought and habits of attitude. Sometimes we have a stronghold of anger or lust or jealousy or bitterness or whatever that stronghold is. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and ultimately taking every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. There are some things the devil wants me to believe about me that I don't need to believe about me because they will destroy me. And there are people who want to say things to me that the devil believes to destroy me. I cannot allow that. The Bible says every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. What is the knowledge of Christ? Well, at least part of the knowledge of Christ is that he loves you. That you're valuable to him. And anyone who speaks to you as if you do not have great value is not speaking the heart of God, the knowledge of God. Anyone who speaks to you like you're hopeless and you're done in and you'll never amount to anything, that is not God. One more before I start preaching. John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. Notice that. You have a participle here for you who like grammar. In other words, this is going on while this is happening. It's contributing circumstances or actions. Jesus, knowing this, rose from supper and laid aside his garment, took a towel and girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had girded around him. Jesus, knowing who he was, was able to do this. Because he knew who he was, he was able to do this. You see, in biblical days, we didn't go around in Nikes. You ever come home at the end of a work day? Take your shoes off, throw your feet up on the couch. Your spouse comes along and sits down and peels your socks off and rubs your feet. Anybody that ever happened to? <laughs> How many would like that to happen? Yeah, all right. They might be sitting there going, Whoa, we got to put some old readers in these tennis shoes. But in Jesus' day, they walked all around in sandals with everything that's on the ground getting on their feet, walking the dirty roads, walking through the places where the animals are walking, maybe walking in the temple where there's blood from the sacrifices flying everywhere. So by the time you got to the end of the day, your feet were literally a mess and the lowest servant in the house washed that stuff off of your feet. When Jesus, knowing who he was, 
and where he was going, wrapped a towel around himself and said, Guys, give me your feet. The only way he could ever do that is because he knew who he was. Your problem is you don't yet know who you are. And that's why you can't take criticism. That's why a person can't sit down with you and say, you know what? I see a problem in your walk with Jesus. There's an attitude here. There's a thing here. There's a thing. The reason you can't take that is because you don't know who you are in Christ. And you think your identity is being destroyed by criticism. When actually, if criticism is done right, it is a tremendous blessing. It's when people, we have a saying, yank our chain. When people stop us and say, you know, what I just heard you say, you, you need to think about that. You need to pray. You, know, you see what I'm saying? You think I should get preachy now? He done stop preaching, start meddling. All right, let's talk about you. Who are you? Let me introduce you to you. I'm going to exalt the truth about you. You meet you. And you're not even schizophrenic. Here is the you that you need to connect to. The you you're connecting. First of all, you have an advocate. You have an advocate. When the vineyard owner said, cut you down and throw you away because you've not been fruitful in years, the advocate says, leave it alone one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it and let's see if it'll produce fruit. You have an advocate. Justice says, We've been wasting our time. You've not been fruitful. It's time to do something about you. The advocate says, we're going to do it. We're going to try harder. We're going to see if we can't get some fruit to grow on this tree. There are voices in your head that are speaking things, and you need to silence those voices. You need to say, no, I am not stupid. I am not incompetent. I am not a loser. I rebuke those voices in the name of Jesus. I have an advocate who is stepping in, who believes in me and is saying he will break up the ground around my life and he will fertilize my root system so that I can live a fruitful life. I have an advocate. You have an advocate. The Bible says in Philippians 1, 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, I believe God is going to complete the work he began in you. Amen. You have an advocate. You have an advocate. What did I say? You have an advocate. You're not a waste of time. You're not a waste of space. You have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is your advocate. That's the person you need to connect to. I want to tell you a story. It's been a long time since I told this story, so I think I can get away with it. Either that or I'm getting seen. I don't remember what I said. Years ago, when our three kids were still fairly small, in fact, I think my our youngest, our son, was probably about eight or nine years old, maybe. can't remember exactly, but we were in Arkansas visiting family, and um, I rounded up a few four-wheelers so we could take a ride in the country, and uh, I took me and my three kids and a nephew and we were running through the woods in the wilderness of Arkansas, and we came upon this um, 
this creek, if you're from that area, some may be listening to this, it, it's called Grassy Creek because there's grass in the creek. So we're smart this way. We named it Grassy Creek, you know. In Grassy Creek, there's also a place called Grassy Wells. Grassy Wells is a place where water has fallen from a bluff, a waterfall for eons, and has drilled a hole about the size of a backyard swimming pool so far that none of us have ever been able to touch the bottom. Have you guys heard this story? <laughs> Pretend you haven't. And so it drilled this hole. And again, you can, maybe with scuba gear you can do that, but you can go down and down and down. And water keeps getting hot. You know, thicker, your ears start popping, and you, you just can't get to the bottom of it. And you finally lose your air, and you got to go back up. So we pull up in the four-wheelers, and we're looking off the bluffs at this, and I get an idea. I thought, man, it's hot. And so I climbed down the bluff, and I walked out about two or three feet on a ledge. It was only about four or five inches deep. And then I stepped off, and it went down forever. About four or five feet out from the bank, it was solid rock. About four or five, and then it just went down forever. And so I climbed up, and I knew I got to jump over that ledge to hit the deep water. So I started jumping over the ledge, and I'd swim out. Every time I would get out, my son would say, Dad, can I do it? And I go, No, you can't. It's too dangerous. I'd climb up, and I'd jump up. Dad, can I do it? And I go, No, you can't. It's too dangerous. Dad, please. Finally, he talked me into it. And I said, Okay, here's what we'll do I will go down to the creek, I will stand on the edge of the ledge. You have to jump over my head. If you get short of that, you're going to hit shallow water. It's going to be a mess. Your mom's going to get mad at me. It's going to be a, a, a terrible. So you've got to jump over my head. So I'm standing down there. He's jumping over my head and swimming back out and jumping over. And then one time I'm standing there and I'm looking up. And I watch my son get to the edge of the cliff. Probably about 10 or 12 feet up. It wasn't like Acapulco or anything. Um, and I saw that as we had been doing this, the moss had gotten wet. And his foot slipped. And then his other foot slipped. And he's sliding toward the edge of the cliff on his bottom. And it was like, you know, say everything looked like it was in slow motion. And I'm going, oh, no. Oh, no. And he grabbed for a root, and he got a hold of it, and it stopped him for a second and broke. And then all of a sudden, he's in free fall, coming off of that bluff. And I'm standing under him going, oh, no. And it, it was amazing that in my mind, I thought, when he hits the ledge, he might be unconscious. And if he goes in the deep water, I will never find him. It's too deep. So in my mind, in the split second it took to fall off that cliff, I said to myself, get your hands on him. Get your hands on him. And so he comes down. I'm standing there. He lands straddle of my shoulder. He's sitting right here, one leg here, one leg back here. And I've got my hands up. And every vertebra in my back screamed, oh, my goodness. The impact of that collision was so intense that it knocked both of us into the deep water. 
And I remember as we were falling into the deep water and going down, 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 all I could think of is I have got to get my hands on this kid. So I wrap both arms around him, make sure you're not getting away from me because if I lose you, I'll never find you. And then I started paddling back to the top. And as we broke the surface of the water, we were face to face. I'd got him around. I was holding him for dear life. We were face to face, nose to nose. I remember his hair just parted as we came up. I thought, is he, what condition is he going to be in when he parts the, the surface? And his eyes popped open and he looked at me and said, that ends my cliff diving. And so I swam to the ledge and I put him on the ledge and he climbed up, jumped on the four-wheeler. I tried to get out, but I could barely move. I crawl up the side of the thing, jump on the four-wheeler. Have you seen those old westerns where the wounded gunfighter comes back on the horse? You know, he's all slumped. That's how I came in on the four-wheeler. I was, I was kind of, you know, riding it in. And I remember I walked in the house and I, I laid down and I could I just for days I couldn't move. I, the traumas of my, to my spine. And my wife came in and she said, what happened, Jack? And I said, well, let me tell you how I saved your son. <laughs> and so I started telling her how I saved her son's life. I think she laid a bottle of ibuprofen on the bed next to me and stood up and said, can't I believe you? You let our son jump off a bluff? What were you thinking? So I was in the doghouse and I was sick for days after that. There's one thing I never considered. When my son was in free fall off a bluff, heading toward a ledge just on the surface of the water, I never even considered stepping out of the water never crossed my mind. It wasn't an option. We were going to experience this tragedy together. I told you that to make a point here. Jesus will never step out of the way. He will always be your advocate. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have fallen from, he will always stand between you and the danger beneath the surface of the water because he's a good father. Do you believe that? I'm going to come along and massage your head, you know. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is your advocate? You have an advocate. and You've got to believe that you've got to hang on to that. Secondly, you're fruitful. But the fruit of the Spirit, I've read it so many times in the series, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ, I haven't read this one much in the series at all, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have suffered, excuse me, have sacrificed the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Every, listen to me very carefully, every metaphor breaks down. 
And you hear people take metaphors and build all kinds of doctrines out of them. Every metaphor breaks down. Jesus is the Lamb of God. That's a metaphor. But he doesn't have four legs and wool. See, it breaks down at some point. Here is where this metaphor breaks down. He said, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if I'm living by the Spirit, the Spirit is, then, then I have a choice as to whether I'm going to enjoy the love, joy, peace, patience, whether I keep in step with the Spirit. I know uh, uh, an apple tree produces apples. It doesn't produce apples one day and not the next. It's an apple tree. If it's in season, it's an apple tree. But we, as fruit bearers of the Holy Spirit, we choose what we're going to do. In other words, I have, by the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace, etc. I choose whether or not I'm going to access them. I can walk around broke with a pocket full of money because I'm not accessing the money that's in my pocket. But Jesus says that I can keep in step with the Holy Spirit. If I'm going to live by the Holy Spirit, I keep in step with the Holy Spirit. In other words, raise that fruit of the Spirit to the surface. The presence of joy and peace does not mean that I always have joy and peace. It means it's always available to me. I choose whether or not I'm going to take advantage of what the Holy Spirit has put in my spirit. Hello? I make a choice. I need to remind myself that fruitfulness is something that God has given me. And as I keep pace with the Holy Spirit, it comes to the surface. You had those times when you're feeling broken and sad and discouraged and troubled and traumatized and disappointed. Have I given enough negatives yet? You know, you're sitting there in the middle of of all the joyless things that can go on in your life, and you're sitting there, and you all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute. Uh, I don't have to feel this way. The Holy Spirit has given me joy. I am going to say, Lord, I need your joy now to rise up inside of me. I need it to come to the surface. It is my birthright. It is my right as a child of God not to be devastated and not to be weary and brokenhearted. It is my birthright to rise up and say, I am a person that God has put joy and peace in, though it makes no sense. And given the situation I'm in right now, I choose by the power of the Holy Spirit to experience joy and peace. Is that just plumb weird? Number three, you are victorious. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness? danger of sword, and it is written, for your sakes we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, (laughs) in all these things. He didn't say after all these things or before all these things. He said, no, in all. All these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. There's this amazing reality that when you're in the middle of all this adversity, you are more than a conqueror. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any power, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In all these things, 
I know you sign up for seminars and you travel great distances and you want to hear certain speakers and, and you rally around because you're trying to get your Jesus box. You remember the Jesus box? The Jesus box is that formula that people keep telling you can have where you get this thing or you have a person pray for you, a certain person, maybe a, a Christian celebrity, and, and then all of a sudden this box opens and all this fruit jumps out on you. Wow, glory to God. And I, I see this all the time. People say, this is going to be a better year. God's going to move mountains. God's going to go. I was like, it's going to be the same old year it was last year unless you make resolutions that heal you. The Jesus box is not coming. It's already arrived in the person of Jesus Christ and in the, per, the, the Word of God. We already have what we have been given. You don't have to wait for a Jesus box to show up. You are these in all this trouble. You know I'm feeling honorary when I giggle before I talk, right? I prophesy that life is going to get tough. prophesy that there will be days that you'll wonder whether you're going to make it or not. And I prophesy that in those days, you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. In those days, when everything has fallen apart, Jesus stayed on the throne and took a hold of you and took you through it. Those guys and gals who are telling you, come and let me pray for you and we'll cancel all your adversity, they're lying to you. It's not going to happen. Paul said, in all these things. Now, I am really thankful that sometimes God takes a trial and ends it, aren't you? I'm proud that you go through valleys and then you get up on the mountain. I'm, I'm proud for all that stuff. But this old world has got some problems. Paul said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied among everybody else. I mean, we've got the short end of the stick. Life will get tough, and it'll get difficult, and it'll be problematic. But there's going to be a presence of God in you that in the midst of great adversity, you are more than a conqueror. That's who you are. You were designed for this. I haven't bragged on my ram in a while, have I? I have a Ram 1500 with a V8 turbo with a Hemi. Yeah. Once in a while my wife says, are you going to be able to get out today in the snow and this stuff? And I just open the window and I say, look at that black beast. It was designed for this. I have an accident. You'll never let me hear the end of it, will you? It was designed for this. You just push four wheel and it just comes crawling out of that stuff. What about the next time life aligns itself against you and adversity is everywhere? How about you just sort of throw your head back and say, 
God designed me for this. God designed me for this. I'm not going down. I'm not giving up. I'm not wringing my hands. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not cursing my God. I'm not denying my God. I was made to be more than a conqueror in very difficult situations. Amen? That's who you are. Let me introduce you to you. That's who you are. You're that one that buckles down when the, when the host of hell is coming against you and the enemy's coming in like a flood. You are that believer who rises up and says, Oh, no, oh, no. Jesus has got me. We're going to be all right. God has established me in Him. Amen? I have time for one more real quickly. You are a servant. And we'll, we'll stop here. His master replied, and I want you to follow this real closely. Well done, good and faithful, what? Servant. Let me introduce you to you. You are a servant. You're a servant. Guess what servants do? What do servants do? They serve. This is spiritual algebra here, isn't it? It's like talking to a guy, say, hey, what is your favorite hobby? Fishing? Have you ever fished? No. Well, how come you say you're a fisherman? Well, I think I'm one. I got a fishing license. It's legal for me to fish. But you are not a fisherman until you fish. And I've got to be busy serving if I'm going to be a servant. His master replied, and this is that parable of the talents that we all know, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Now, here's the promise. Come and share your master's joy. Come and share your master's joy. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Good and faithful servant sharing your master's joy. See the connection? Wherever you have good and faithful service, you have the reward of joy. Joy comes from a solid connection to your identity as a servant of Jesus Christ. Grief comes when we stop seeing ourselves as servants. Because if we're not good and faithful servants, we're not rewarded with the joy of our master. So we've, we've lost something there. Can you say amen to this, if nothing else? Our master is worthy of our service. Our master is worthy of our service. Find a way to serve your master. Can I explain something to you? I'm getting ready to quit. I know the food bars are getting cold. The Baptists are lining up already. Listen. Are you listening? It's popular in the American Christian culture today to make God the servant and us the one being served. So much of the teaching and preaching I hear 
when I tune in to the media church and the mega church is, here's how to get God to serve you better. God will serve you and he'll give you this, he'll give you this, he'll give you this, he'll give you this, he'll make you this and he'll make you that. And and when the Bible says that he's not my servant, I'm his servant. And when I try to flip the script and say, Jesus, here is my wish list, give me all these things, and by the way, I need you to serve me a little bit better. I need you to step up your game, Lord. I mean, you know, I need, I need more money, I need, I need more happiness, I need this, I need this. And the Bible says, if I'm a good and faithful servant, he will reward me with the joy of my master. And I can never share my master's joy unless I serve my master faithfully. That's, that's the issue. I'm trying to introduce you to you. I, I got about half done today. But I want to introduce you to you. And, and before I, I close and give the uh, final challenge, I, I'd like you to listen to a, a song that uh, our sister Rain is going to do. And just kind of worship. I'll come back in a moment and, and close the service. Worship with us.
someone tries to give you some truth that is uncomfortable, you'll be defensive and you'll attack. So, what I'm saying today is we've got to believe our value in Christ. We've got to believe that He is in love with us. That He adores us. Nothing is hanging in the balance. When the Lord is using people as iron sharpens iron, it's not to degrade us. It's to elevate us. Some of us right now, we need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. People have tried to speak truth into my life, and I've been defensive, and I've counterattacked, and I wouldn't hear it, and, and I am not who I could be had I just listened to people who love me. Lord, I'm sorry. Help me be secure in who I am in you so I can hear difficult truths. Father, today we come face to face with the person you want us to be. With the person you died to make us. The die is cast. Lord, I pray for those self-image 
is too fragile to accept constructive criticism. I pray, Lord, because they can never connect in a healthy way to other believers until they reach that place. I pray, Lord, that they would just relax in you and know who they are in you. And that they'd be able to receive your truth, whether it comes from your word, your Holy Spirit, or other believers, that they would just know who I am is already established in Christ. Lord, we just ask for that blessing. And then, Lord, I ask if there's anyone here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I ask you to give them the faith to believe that they are infinitely valuable to you. That you died on a cross for every one of their sins, past, present, and future. And give them the faith to pray and believe in their heart that Jesus paid for their sin and confess with their mouth that he is Lord. And in doing so, you're writing their name in your book. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Pray that sinner's prayer with us. Let us know. We need to help you get started. And again, I say this once in a while, but especially in this series, take your notes home with you. Spend some time with them. Wrestle. There's some some very important and complicated stuff the Lord is doing in our hearts. Amen. God bless. Next week we'll finish up this part of the series.